from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 11b to 21. Hear the word of the Lord. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. The custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered, offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was still boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand. And he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh, Silo, to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, Let them burn the fat first, then take as much as you wish, he would say, No, you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young man was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the man treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod, and his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. So then they would return to their home. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the young man, Samuel, grew in the presence of the Lord. You may be seated. This is the word of the Lord. I wasn't sure how I would begin this message until Pat Tennant put the book in my hand on Tuesday. The book told the story of a formative moment that took place in the life of a young pastor when he was very young. When he was in second grade in a Christian school, his teacher would te read to her class a Bible story every day before they went out for recess. And on one day, this told the story of Samuel, whom God called as a young boy and gave him a prophetic message to pass on. And when the other kids had gone out for recess, this future pastor, Billy, lagged behind and then approached the teacher. Miss Van Sulen, does God still speak to little boys? Oh, yes, she said. He certainly does. And she gave Billy a folded piece of paper and said, this is a poem that I have kept for some time. Take it, read it, it might prove helpful. And then straight from the book. As I pulled my pajamas on that night, my mind kept drifting back to the idea that maybe God would someday speak to me. I rummaged through the pockets of my school pants and pulled out the paper Miss Van Sulen had given to me. Opening its folds and flattening out its creases, I discovered a poem. Words about having Samuel's ears to hear God every single day. I read the poem and then read it again. I read it a third time and then figured I might as well memorize the thing. So I did. The next day, just before recess, when the beloved bell sounded, 
but finally sounded its alarm. I flew out of my desk and lunged, through the, uh, lunged for the classroom door. Not so fast, Billy. Miss Van Sulen's sing-song voice rang out. I felt my shirt collar caught in her grip. And as my friends pushed past either side of me and headed out to recess, Miss Van Sulen asked, what do you think of a poem I gave you? I really liked it, I said. You mean you actually read it, she asked. I memorized it, I said with a straight face and a shrug. No way, she said, flabbergasted. Yes way, I did, I countered. She called my bluff. Can you say it for me? I took up the dare. Oh, give me Samuel's ear, I said. An open ear, O Lord, alive and quick to hear each whisper of thy word. Like him to answer to thy call and to obey thee, first of all. As I finished my recitation, I thought Miss Van Sulen might faint dead away right then and there. But as a pride-infused smile beamed across her face, again I felt those two hands on my, small, uh, on my small frame. You keep listening for God to speak, Billy, she said. And I believe he will use your life in a very special way. Samuel's ear. 1 Samuel chapter 2 and 3 uh, tell that story and provide some context. Last week, you remember, we told the story of Hannah and Samuel's mother and how she left him behind at the tabernacle to be raised by the priest while serving the Lord. Sounds good and godly until we discover what the priestly family was like. If Hannah had known what kind of environment she was leaving her child in, she would have had second thoughts. So the account, beginning at chapter 2, verse 12, begins with a description of the practices of Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Now, when an Israelite brought a, a sacrifice to the temple, to the tabernacle, there were certain ways God has said it should be done. Priests would only eat certain parts, and the fat was burned as, as a Lord's portion, etc., and to violate these protocols was a big deal. So Hophni and Phinehas, though, they would send out servants to get the choicest parts of meat from the sacrifice before it was roasted. And before the Lord's portion was burned. And if the worshiper said, let me at least burn the fat off as an offering to the Lord, Hophni and Phinehas' servant would say, nope and threatened to take it by force. And the scripture says, the sin of the young man was very great in the eyes of the Lord, for the men were treating the offering of the Lord with contempt. Now, it sounds pretty innocuous to, uh, to us, but to treat the Lord's offering as if it was their offering, to do it as they saw fit, was a big deal. And it did deserve the Lord's judgment. But the scripture also says they were doing it to all Israel. Consider this example. Um, let's say that this church, TBC, was the center of worship for Alberta. Okay, this is where God lived. And to perform, to perform the acts of worship, you had to come here. 
And the Lord himself stipulated that you had to come here from across the province at least once a year. And the thing you had to do was to bring your offering, a tithe. Give some to the upkeep of the building, some to the pastor and the elders and to their families. And some you could take and go out to a meal at one of the sacred restaurants around the church. That was what the tithe was for in the Old Testament. So your household income in, say, 40000 So once a year, you walk here from Red Deer to Calgary with $4,000 in your pocket. And you get here and are about to divvy it up. And I say, nope, just give me the whole thing. But you say, I'll, I'll forego my restaurant meal, but let me give some for the upkeep of the church. No, I'll say, I'll take it all. Plus, I'll take another 1000 and make a couple payments on my new car. And if you don't, I'll get Rocky and Bruno here to do some laying on of hands, if you get my meaning. Now, if I represented God to you, and this place showed you what worship really was to look like, before long, you would say, forget it. I won't have anything to do with God or worship. And before long, Alberta would be a God-free province. That's what Hophni and Phinehas were doing. They were undermining the whole worship life of the chosen people of God. And that is a huge deal. Especially since God wanted Israel to demonstrate to the nations what worship of God looked like and how, what it looked like to be blessed for honoring God. The song says, For the want of a marker, the doctor, doctors lost their place. For the want of a cut line, they couldn't lift his face. For the want of a facelift, his rating dropped, then the sitcom folded, and the network flopped. For the want of a marker, the network flopped. For the want of character in these two guys... The nations were without a witness for God. So yes, it was a very big deal and a very great sin in the eyes of the Lord. And they were sleeping with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tabernacle too. Not nice men. And their father Eli knows all about it too. He had a customary seat beside the doorposts of the temple of the Lord, i.e., by the entrance. And he warns him. He said, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? Eli's warning to his sons, to me, comes across as half-hearted. What should he have done? As a de facto ruler of Israel, and as a parent, he should have had them put to death. As a parent of rebellious sons who would not listen to the father... As a judge of Israel, facing those who are leading, leading Israel away from the Lord, 
as a priest whose sons were sleeping around, the only fit way for Hophni and Phinehas to be dealt with was for them to be put to death. But he didn't. And it would have been very, very hard. He's their dad. But his duty was clear. But he didn't do it. Why? Well, when a man of God speaks judgment to Eli and his sons, he makes this comment. Why do you scorn my sacrifices and honor your sons above me by fattening yourself on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? So one, he also scorned the scorn the offering. Two, he honored his sons before the Lord. And three, he shared passively in their sin because he grew fat on their sins. Chapter 4, verse 8, calls Eli old and heavy. So Eli talks a good game, but it's hard to meaningfully rebuke a sin that you yourself profit from. So God sent a prophet to Eli, not to his sons, but to Eli, because as judge and high priest, he bore the responsibility for the ongoing wickedness of his sons, and he spoke this judgment. And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephah, the priest's uniform, before me? I gave the house of your father all the offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel. Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promised that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now, the Lord declares, far be it from me. God's promises in the Old Testament are contingent on the obedience of his people, either individually or nationally. Deuteronomy 20, the Lord will bring you back in ships to Egypt, a journey that I promise you, you should never make again. But I'll bring you back there. Jeremiah 18, if at any time I declare concerning a nation or kingdom that I will, I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I had intended to do to it. Regarding Solomon, I will establish his king. Uh, I will establish his kingdom forever if he continues strong in keeping my commandments and my rules. Jesus talked the same thing in his parable of the unmerciful servant in Matthew 18. A man who's who owes a huge debt, is forgiven his debt by the king. But when the king finds out that this man is not willing to forgive the trivial debt of another, 
the king rescinds his forgiveness and has the man jailed until he can pay off his original debt. So to Eli, I promised it to your forefathers forever, but I will rescind my promise if you continue like this. And then he makes this, this statement that I think is the linchpin, the theme verse of all of 1 Samuel. The, the whole book is an outworking of this verse, and I think all of Scripture is an outworking of this verse. Those who honor me, I will honor. And those who dishonor me shall be lightly esteemed, or in the New International Version, disdained. In this Old Testament book of 1 Samuel, it's David, not Saul, who is honored, as we shall see. And Samuel, not Eli and his sons, was honored. And then God goes on to say he will raise up a new priest, etc. And he continues, This that shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be the sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. So Eli's family will no longer serve as priests because of the wickedness of his sons, and God will raise up a new priest. Bill T. Arnold says, Proximity to God's work is no substitute for submission to the grace of God. Proximity to God's work is no substitute for submission to the grace of God. In other words, not all those who serve the Lord are good men. Earlier this year, uh, an 18-year-old, Malachi Love Robinson, was arrested in Florida for opening a medical office and posing as a doctor, performing physical exams, giving medical advice, saying he had a PhD behind his name, which is not a medical degree anyway, by the way. And, of course, he called himself Dr. Love. Not all who call themselves doctors are doctors. Not all who call themselves men of God are men of God. Maybe they can preach, preach to great effect. After The word has its own power. But Jesus himself said that even to some of those who preach and do mighty works in Jesus' name, Jesus will repudiate on the last day. Proximity to God's work is no substitute for submission to the grace of God. And so ends the description of Eli and his family. And into this environment comes Samuel. The narrator of this story hasn't let us forget Samuel. Sprinkled throughout this narrative of the wickedness of Hophni and Phinehas. That's hard to say. Hophni and Phinehas. Say it with me. Not bad. There are sprinkled these references to Samuel. Two verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 11. And the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. Chapter 2, verse 18. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod. 
Verse 21, and the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. Verse 26, now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with men. Chapter 3, verse 1, now the young man Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. In the middle of this ghastly, priestly life, there's little Samuel, as yet uncorrupted, consistently faithful. So 3 verse 1, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. And what was true spiritually was also true physically. No frequent vision. Why? Verse 2, Eli, whose eyesight had become to grow dim so that he could not see. In chapter 4 verse 15, Eli's eyes were so set he could not see. His actual eyesight was a picture of his spiritual eyesight. Eli was going blind. There was no frequent vision because the high priest could not see. I think the the narrator of the story includes these details quite deliberately. And also, the word of the Lord was rare, but the lamp of the Lord had not yet gone out. The lamp being a Scriptural metaphor for the word of God. Your word is a lamp to my feet. So the word was rare, but not not extinguished. So one night, Samuel had taken his accustomed place in the tabernacle, not far from where the presence of God was, near the Ark of the Covenant. Now, again, you notice the pen of the narrator. Eli is by the entrance, and Samuel is near the presence of the Lord, near the Ark. It was nearly dark in the tabernacle, but by the light of a lamp, he could see the altar of incense where the prayers offered by the priests were made and ascended like incense. He saw the table where the sacred loaves were placed daily. So familiar sights to him in the half-light of the tabernacle. And Samuel laid his head down, his eyelids drooped, and before long he was asleep. And at some point in the night, he was awakened by what he thought was Eli's voice, calling Samuel. Eli wasn't in the habit of calling out by night, so Samuel hurried out of the tabernacle into Eli's bed close by. Here I am, you call. And Eli, who had been woken up by Samuel, said, I I didn't call, just go back to bed. A few minutes later, Samuel was back. You called me. Eli said, it's a dream or the wind or something. I know I didn't call you, so please lie down. Go to sleep. I'll see you in the morning. Good night, Samuel. Good night, Eli. And Samuel trudged back to bed. Then a third time, Samuel heard his name called. There was no mistaking that the sound that had woken him up was a clary, very clear voice calling Samuel. Now, It was, of course, the Lord calling. We know that, reading the text. But Samuel didn't. So he wouldn't recognize the voice of God. The word of the Lord was rare. So God is patient with Samuel and watch him go go running out to Eli. Eli, Eli, I'm here. You called. What do you need? Then Eli, whose eyesight is dim but not gone entirely, perceived the truth. Awake now, he tries to focus in on Samuel. Samuel, listen, 
You did hear your name called, but not by me. Go and lie down. If you hear the voice calling you again, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. This is an occasion of great significance. Eli knows that the Lord wants to go one-on-one with Samuel. The word of the Lord was rare, but here, just on the other side of that curtain, God has something he wants to say to Samuel. Eli says, don't miss it. Samuel, don't miss this. So Samuel goes back to bed, but not, I would guess, to sleep. There was no frequent vision But Samuel not only hears, but this time he sees. The Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. But as Samuel is expecting a gracious word, think again. Then the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel, at which the two ears of everyone Everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Oh, man, this kid. So in the morning, Samuel opens the doors of the tabernacle, whistling awkwardly, hoping Eli will forget what happened the night before. He was just dreaming. Scripture says Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. Yeah, I'll bet. But Eli calls him for real this time. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. Well, there it is. I don't think this message was given for Eli's sake. God had already told Eli all these things through the earlier man of God. This is not new information for Eli. Why tell him again? The question is not what will Eli do with this message, but what will Samuel do? I think this message is given for Samuel's sake. Eli's family is Samuel's surrogate family. They are raising him. Even his mom gives him a a new toy priestly robe every year. He dresses like a priest. He hangs out with a priest. He works in the tabernacle. And now this message. This young man standing before the venerable priest. Will Samuel honor his family before the Lord? The moment of truth. Those who honor me, says the Lord, I will honor. But those who despise me or dishonor me, I will disdain. Jesus said, 
everyone who acknowledges me before a man, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before man will be denied before the angels of God. So in truth, we all, me, you, we all stand in Samuel's place. Whom or what will be honored? doesn't matter if you're a missionary or a banker, if you give yourself to feeding the poor or staying at home or teaching or working in a high-rise downtown. What matters is, did you honor the Lord in choosing your vocation and do you honor the Lord every day as you work? Or do you decide based on the bottom line? Do you honor the team? Do you honor your retirement? Do you honor your house, your space? Do you honor your spare time? Do you honor your vacation time? That's not asking, do you give your time to or spend your resources on these things? That's not the question. It's always about the heart. God is much less interested in what you do than in why you do it. So in any given situation, does your heart go toward God or toward someone or something else? Of Jesus, like Samuel, it was said that he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Same phrase, Samuel, Jesus. So Jesus, too, was faithful. He had his heart set on the Father. He obeyed even to the point of death. That's why we celebrate Good Friday. God loved us sinners so much that he sent his son to die for our sins and restore us to to relationship with him. But I don't think that Jesus was forced to die. He chose to obey. And even during his life, he did the things that he knew his father was doing. He said what the father told him to say. He honored God, and God honored him. Philippians 2. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore... Not and then, but therefore, because he had done this, God exalted him to the highest place. Here's a truth you can take to the bank. If you honor God, he will honor you. If you honor God, he will honor you. He'll probably honor you with the respect and admiration of the people who matter. He will honor you with influence in the things that matter. He may even honor you with wealth because he, know, he, knows, that you'll, he knows that you'll expend it, extend it, expend it for his sake. Let me say that again. He may even honor you with wealth because he knows that you will expend your wealth for his sake and not your own. But he will certainly honor you with his own affirmation in this life and public recognition in the next. Those who honor the Lord will never regret it at the end of the day. Never. So our story is Jesus' story. Honor 
exaltation. So here is Samuel with a decision to make. What will he choose? He said, Dad, I hate to do this to you, but this is the word of God to you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he, Eli, said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. Even his jokes did not fall flat, like mine do. And all Israel, from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south, so the entire country, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again, so visions no longer infrequent, at Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel by the word of the Lord, no longer rare. And so the age of the judges ends not with the close of the book of Judges, but with the life of Samuel. Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life, chapter 7. So he led Israel to victory. He anointed the first two kings of Israel, Saul and David. His integrity was known across the country. He was greatly honored. And it all began with a young man who had a choice to make. And he made the right choice. It was all about the heart. And despite being raised by a wicked family, his heart was correctly aligned. Oh, give me Samuel's ear and open the ear, O oh Lord, alive and quick to hear each whisper of your word, like him to answer to the call and to obey thee first of all. Those who honor me, I will honor, and those who despise me will be disdained. Amen.